right, so we're going to start our uh, sermon. So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Acts chapter 2? If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one nearby you on the chairs. And if you are using the red Bibles, Acts chapter 2. is on page 531. We're actually going to read the passage first, and then I'm going to introduce our sermon. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be a spirit-filled church so that you would work through us, building us up together as a community and bringing people to us daily, those who you have called to be saved. Lord, I ask through your spirit you would illumine this text for us and that we would go from here changed by the power of your spirit. And in the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, we started this series through the book of Acts. And we've been looking at the birth of the church, the launch of this people of God that he has gathered to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus to bear witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That in Jesus, God was bringing redemption to people and bringing restoration to this world. He was gathering a people together and empowering them, we saw last week, in the Spirit so that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is what the church is called to be to bear witness to the good news of what God has done and is doing through Jesus. To be part of the church, whether it's the early church or this church, is to join in that mission, which is first to experience for yourself the mercy and grace of God and Jesus, but then to live in such a way through your words and your actions, through your character and your attitude, that your neighbors would see you and see in you a hope that they do not have. And that hope is Jesus. That is why we exist, is to take up our part in this mission, in this movement of God's people taking to the world 
with this message of hope in Jesus. And in this passage, we see that now that the Spirit of God has fallen on God's people, there are over 3,000 disciples of Jesus now who are part of this new, young, growing church. And Luke tells us what they are about. He, he tells us what makes them tick. He, he tells us what they are devoted to. And tells us that as they are devoted to these things, the Lord was daily adding to their number those who were being saved. There are three things that Luke tells us this early church is devoted to. And starting today and for the next two weeks, we're going to stay in this passage and look at those three things that the church was devoted to and see how can we do that too. So the early church, they were devoted to three things. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to one another. And they were devoted to worship. So this morning we're going to talk about what does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And every week, we're going to ask these three questions. We're going to ask, what were they devoted to? So if you've got a bulletin, want to take notes, this is where we're going. First question, what were they devoted to? Second, what did that mean for them? Or what did that look like to them? And then third, what does that mean for us? So what were they devoted to? What did that look like for them? What might that mean for us? So let's begin. What were the early church devoted to? Well, we see in verse 42, the first thing that Luke tells us they were devoted to is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. These 3,000 disciples were devoted, they were dedicated to listening, hearing, and learning from the apostles as they would go and teach. And the apostles would teach on a fairly regular basis. We read that they were daily going to the temple courts. They were standing up in front of the crowds and they were preaching sermons. They were answering people's questions. And then they'd go back and go to the, the houses and have dinner and meals and they'd explain, this is what I meant, this is what I was saying, this is who Jesus was. In fact, Luke is going to record all through this book these teachings of the apostles. We've already seen one. Last week, after, on the day of Pentecost, after the Spirit falls, Peter stands up as the leader of the apostles, and he teaches what is happening. He teaches about what is happening. And all throughout the book of Acts, all of the apostles will just get up and they'll teach and they'll preach. What is it that they're teaching about? What is the apostles' teaching? Well, to put simply, they're teaching about Jesus. But it's more than that. Look, I, I was a world religions major in undergrad at a non-Christian university, and I had plenty of classes with teachers that taught about Jesus. But what the apostles taught was far greater than just teaching about Jesus. What the apostles taught was that in Jesus, God was doing something amazing. 
in Jesus, God was bringing redemption, the forgiveness of sins, new life, eternal life, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, look just above our passage at verse 38. This is in the middle of Peter's sermon. Luke says, And then Peter said to them, Repent and believe every one of you. Sorry, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was the message that the apostles taught. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. Now believe in him and be baptized in him, and you will experience the forgiveness of your sins. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, wrote the letter to the Corinthian church, and he writes in there that when Paul went and visited the church in Corinth, when Paul stood up and taught at the church in Corinth, he says that I desired that you would know nothing else except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. But we know that Paul talked about other things. But behind all of those secondary and tertiary things, the primary thing that Paul wanted us to know from his teaching was Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what the apostles taught about. And they wrote the New Testament. And so when we open up the Bible, what we should get primarily first is that the Bible is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is why we have the Bible. I don't know if you grew up in church or not. You know, you, it, whether you did or you didn't, you probably have a presumption about what this book is. Maybe you grew up thinking that this was a book of rules. That if you just obeyed the rules, mommy and daddy would be proud of you. Your church community would like you. God would like you. Maybe when you got to college, you, you started believing, well, you know, it's not really just a book of rules. It's more of a guide. There's good teachings in here. And if I follow these teachings to love one another, man, I'll feel better about myself. I'll be at peace with myself. Maybe you think that this is just archaic and ancient and doesn't mean anything. It's written to different people at a different time. The authors of the Bible tell us why they wrote what they wrote. And they wrote that we might know Jesus and believe in him. John, the apostle John, he wrote the gospel of John. And at the very end of the gospel of John, he writes in chapter one, 21, he says, there's plenty of other things that I could have written about, but I wrote these things about Jesus so that you would know in your heart that Jesus is the son of God and that you would believe in him. And in believing in him, you had to have eternal life. The apostles taught about Jesus. And so when we come to the Bible, that should be what we see. 
the Bible wants us to believe in Jesus. So that's what they were devoted to. And the second question is, what did that look like for them? Look at verse 43. Luke says that awe came upon every soul. That word awe is a kind of feeling one has when you're standing before someone or something of great importance, of great magnificence. You know, when people, if they go and visit the Grand Canyon, they'll always come back and say, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it, it took my breath away. You could stand there and see for miles at the beauty of God's creation. It was magnificent. I felt a sense of awe. Or if you've ever gone and stood on top of the Eiffel Tower, it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world to stand above Paris. And you can see for miles, there's this sense of awe within us. Or if you've ever been in the presence of someone, someone truly remarkable, you begin to shake. You begin to tremble deep in your core. There's a sense of fear, not of something scary happening, but a sense of, is this really happening? Is this really true? That is the sense of awe that fell upon the disciples as they heard and believed what the apostles taught about Jesus. Why? Because the apostles taught about Jesus in such a way that said that the entire history of the world finds its conclusion in Jesus. Everything has been pointing to and leading up to this person. Everything finds its climax in Jesus. That's how they taught. Look, they didn't have the New Testament when the apostles taught. They, they wrote the New Testament. So what they had was in their, in their heads, they knew the stories of the Old Testament. And in their hearts, they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the one to whom everything belongs. And they began to teach and saying, you know those stories? You know the history? It all leads to Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. They would open up the Bible and teach in such a way that everything pointed to Jesus. So they would talk about the great pillars of the faith. They'd talk about Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Isaiah. And they'd say, don't you see? All of these people point us to Jesus. Abraham was singled out and said, through you, you will bless the world. And that points to Jesus because in his death, he brought forgiveness of sins, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. Every nation will be blessed because of Jesus. Abraham points us to Jesus. Moses, he, he led the people of God who are in captivity in Egypt. He celebrated the first Passover, the sacrifice of the lamb, and then led them through the Red Sea into freedom. Well, that points us to Jesus. 
Jesus is the spotless lamb who was slain. We are spared. We are passed over because the blood of the lamb covers us. And we're brought free out of slavery to sin into new life. Moses is about Jesus. Joshua led the people into the promised land. Jesus makes a way for us to find true rest in our heavenly home. David was the king over Israel, led them to fight against their enemies and live in a righteous way. King Jesus has defeated our greatest enemy and has covered us with his righteousness. Isaiah called the people to repent of their sins and talked about the suffering that you will go through if you don't. Jesus calls us to trust in him who suffered for us. Everything in the Old Testament points us to Jesus and awe fell upon every soul who heard those teachings. It wasn't just people. Think of the temple. The very place where God would dwell with his people, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt with us. Think of the sacrifices daily. The people would offer sacrifices for their sin again and again and again. But with Jesus, your sins are forgiven through the one perfect spotless sacrifice. Everything in the Old Testament points us to Jesus. There was a pastor in the late, eight, late 19th century, Charles Spurgeon in England. And he would talk about the need to always see Jesus in every page of the Bible. And he'd, he'd say this. He'd say, wherever you go throughout England, you go to any city, go to any village, go to any town, you're going to see streets and shops and people. Every little town has their own life. But in every town, there is a street. Maybe it's called High Street, maybe Main Street. There is always a road in every town that leads back to London. That's how the whole country was set up. There's always a road that leads back to London. When we open up the pages of the Bible, there is always a road that leads us to Jesus. The disciples, they knew something new had come in Jesus, but they did not throw away the old stories that they knew. It was only in understanding those old stories that they were able to understand who Jesus was and what he was doing for them. My son, Theo, he's, he's growing all the time and learning new things, and it's such a pleasure to watch. Right now, he's learning how to write letters and, and draw a lot, and so we, we got this really fun activity. It's silly. Uh, we, we found it at a on a placemat menu at a restaurant where there's a monkey and you trace the monkey as he goes up a ladder and then you trace him as he goes down the slide and there's a, a letter that you have to write down after you at the end of the slide and then he goes up another ladder and down another slide and Theo's tracing with his marker up and down up and down tracing from one point to the other there's always a way to trace wherever you're reading in the Bible, back to Jesus. Maybe that's our challenge. 
What would it look like to study God's word in such a way that the first question we ask is, Lord, I want you to show me in this text your son. I don't want to know primarily what does this say about my relationships, what does this say about my marriage, what does this say about my kids, what does this say about my work. The first thing I need to know is how does this passage point me to Jesus? Because that is why the apostles gave us this word. So that's what they were devoted to. And that's what it looked like for them. They traced every story back to Jesus. And the third question we have to ask is, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us today at Story Church to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? What does it mean to be devoted to this word that tells us about Jesus? To sit under the apostles' teaching means to meditate on the word of God. It means to memorize it, to let it fill your heart and your mind, to let it spring forth whenever you need it, to open up the Bible and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you through his word. It means to trust that God filled the apostles' hearts with his word and that as they were writing it, they were writing the very words that we need to know for life. Life everlasting. It means to submit ourselves to its teaching. There are plenty of times where I'm reading and I'll hear something from God in the text and my immediate thought is, that's hard. I don't know if I can do that. That's not what I want to do. But to be devoted to the apostles' teaching is to say, I don't like that, but this is the word of God. Father, grant me your spirit that I would submit to it that I would grow in this way, that I would be humble enough to say, I I don't know if I can do it. We need to sit under the apostles' teaching. The psalmist, in Psalm 1, the very first psalm, says that it is a blessing to meditate on the word of God, the law of God, day and night. The first thing when you get up out of the morning, the last thing you think about as you're falling asleep, it is a blessing to think about, to meditate on the word of God. Like, I know that's hard. It's hard for me. When I wake up, that's not what I want to think about. That's not what immediately pops up in my head. You know, I'm already thinking about the day. I'm thinking about work I got to do, conversations I have to have. I'm thinking about fears and pressure and stress. And how how would your life look different if before that you said, God loves me. 
He's got this. Whatever I'm facing today, he's in control. The Lord loves me. And I think our lives would look so different if we meditated on the word of God morning and evening. Paul, he tells the Colossian church to let the word of God dwell in our hearts. To let it take up residence in our hearts so that what we believe, what we tell ourselves about who we are at our core is shaped by what God has told us through his word. You have to figure out what that will look like in your own life. Maybe, maybe that's 15 minutes in the morning. Maybe it's longer than that. Maybe it's shorter than that. Maybe it's setting aside time before your kids wake up. Maybe that means you have to wake up earlier than you'd like. Maybe it's sitting in your car on your way to work. You've left 10 minutes early and you're just sitting there with your Bible open. Maybe it's once a week taking your lunch break to go off by yourself, open up God's word and say, God, can you speak to this issue that I'm facing today at work? Maybe you've got the ability once a month to just turn off your phones, turn off the TV, go grab some coffee, sit for hours reading God's word. Maybe you've got a plan, or maybe you don't have a plan. Find out what works for you, but learn to meditate on God's word. But perhaps more important than that, perhaps more important than just the physical logistics of setting aside time to read God's word, More important than that is allowing God's word to move from our head down to our heart. There's plenty of Bible studies out there. There's plenty of study Bibles with commentaries and notes. There's a lot to learn and do that. Seriously, I I love learning about God's word. But more important than that is letting the word of God go from your head down to your heart. And here's what that looks like. It means telling yourself what is true about who God is, who we are before him, and what Jesus has done to reconcile us back to God. Every day we are surrounded by, we are bombarded by messages. They come on our phones. We hear them on the radio. We see them on billboards. We hear them from friends and family. And the message says, you're not good enough yet. You haven't really measured up to what I want you to do. Look, unless you buy this product, you're not accepted. I mean, the the advertising and marketing industry is designed to convince you 
that you are not worthy unless you buy our products. That is what our heart is hearing all day long. Maybe it's a parent who says, can't you just try harder? Or maybe it's a boss that's disappointed because you'll never measure up to his standards that are way above. Maybe it's a spouse who needs to learn how to gently and lovingly communicate because right now there's just unmet expectations. We hear all the time that we're not worthy. But the apostles taught us that because of Jesus Christ, he lived the perfect life. He met every expectation. He had his father's approval because he always did what was good and right according to God's word. And the apostles taught us that if you believe in him, that becomes yours. If you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are made worthy. You are accepted. Not on the basis of your performance, but on the merit of Jesus' life in your place. You don't have to do anything to work for that. You can't buy it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't, you can't work for it. You have to receive that by grace. And when we as a community at Story Church begin to move that knowledge from our head to our heart, as we tell ourselves that truth, as we tell one another that truth, we will become a community of grace that is so attractive to our neighbors. What our neighbors need to hear is that they can have no condemnation through Jesus. Our neighbors need to hear that they are always loved and accepted because of Jesus and in Jesus. So no matter what they've done, where they're from, if they come to Jesus, they have everything that they could ever need. So what does this mean for us? Well, first, we need to tell ourselves that. But we need to tell one another in this church that too. Whether it's a text or a phone call or a coffee, let us learn to remind one another you are loved because of Jesus. You are forgiven because of Jesus. You are held in his hands. Nothing will ever separate you from the Father's love. 
And when we begin to share that amongst ourselves, the Lord is going to add people to our midst, those whom he is calling to be saved. This is what our neighbors desperately need because this is what we desperately need. That is the mission Jesus has called us to. That is the mission he has empowered us for. So let us be a church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you love us. Oh, you love us so much. And that love will never be taken away because of what your son did. Lord, he took away our sin as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our sin and he has clothed us with his righteousness. We are made worthy and accepted because of him. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that love that truth, that cling to that truth, that hold on to that truth when the world tells us otherwise. Father, may you create amongst us a community of grace devoted to your word because it is in your word that we know Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.